Thank you for listening to the Calvary Church Podcast. If this ministry has been a blessing to you, would you let us know? Send an email to mystory@toledocalvary.org. We would love to hear what God is doing in your life today. I, I don't know. I, I don't know if you have one of these, but I have kind of, I don't know if you call it a bucket list or kind of a list of just stuff that you go, these are things that I want to see, places I want to go, people I'd, I'd love to meet. And I, I don't have it like down on a piece of paper, but I kind of just have this mental list of places I want to go. Now I've already, I've, I've been to the Atlantic, I've been to the Pacific, I've been to the Gulf. So like as far as our continent's you know, concerned, I, I, got all the, I got all the oceans covered. And then there's these places where I still kind of want to go. Like, like I've been to Disney World, but I've not been to Disneyland. And so that's kind of still, you know, still on my list. When I think about it, when I, when I consider it, like I've been to Niagara Falls, but I haven't seen the Hollywood sign yet. So it's, it's on my list. I, I want to go and I, I want to see it. I've, I've been to the Empire State Building, never been to Seattle and the Space Needle. So guess where I want to go? It's on my list. I've been to the Grand Canyon, but not Mount Rushmore. Mount Rushmore's on my list. I've been to Yosemite, but I haven't been to Yellowstone. It's on my list. It's a place I want to go and I want to see. And there's not just places. There's like people that I'd like to see. Do you guys like going to concerts? Like there's certain concerts. It's like, I, no, okay, well, that's fine. Um, I'll find another analogy. Uh, do you like going to church? Um, okay, but like there's, there's like places, people I want to see. Like I've probably seen Phil Keggy in concert, like probably, literally probably 20 times in my life. And I want to see him again. And if you don't know who Phil Keggy is, shame on you. You need to do some Googling this afternoon in the name of the Lord. I just, it, on my list, I want to see the Pittsburgh Steelers win a playoff game at Heinz Field live. I want to be there. Next best thing to heaven, I'm pretty sure. But no matter what's on my list or what's on your list, if there's something we want to see more than anything else, it should be highlighted by the beatitude we're gonna look at today. We've been talking about how we can live right side up in an upside down world. We've been kind of working our way through the Sermon on the Mount and we started each week by looking at one of the beatitudes. Let's look at this next one today. It's Matthew chapter five, verse eight, and let's look at what Jesus says. He says, blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God. If there's anything I wanna see, if there's anybody whose, whose attention I'd like to have, if there's, any, if there's anything that should be at the top of that list that I talked about, it should be seeing God, knowing him, being in his presence, the opportunity to see him. And when we read that, when Jesus says that, it's probably good for us to ask the question, what does that even mean? When we say the pure in heart will see God, what does it mean to see God? Well, there's, there's that idea all throughout scripture, that analogy, that, that phrase, seeing God, is used in a lot of different ways all throughout scripture. Here's one of them, Psalm 17, verse 15. The psalmist writes, as for me, I will be vindicated and will see your face when I awake. I will be satisfied with seeing your likeness. So there's this idea throughout scripture of our desire to see God. And it's really portrayed kind of in two different ways. One is this, there is a future promise of seeing God. There's this idea that one day in heaven, after this life, when we begin what, what really is eternal life, at that point, we will see God face to face. In fact, one of the great promises that scripture gives us of living in heaven is found in Revelation chapter 22, verse four. It says, they will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. So when we get to heaven, we'll see God face to face. There's this future promise of seeing God. But scripture doesn't just seem to stop with the future. 
It really uses this idea of seeing God also in the present. See, there's a present relationship of seeing God. Not, not just a future promise, but also this idea that there's this present relationship. And you see this, we'll look at this today as we go through scripture, over and over again, this idea, this, it's almost an analogy, that we will see God. Now scripture tells us that no one has seen God in all his glory, that, that that's not possible for us as humankind in this life to see God in all his glory and live, it's too overwhelming. And yet the analogy, the principle of seeing God that has this idea of knowing him, of recognizing him, of sensing him, of knowing when he's at work, at knowing when he's leading us, we oftentimes refer to this as seeing God. Have you heard that? So we're not talking so much with our eyes physically, but with our spirits, spiritually, that we're able to see God. And the beauty of this is you really don't know someone until you've seen them. When I was, when I was younger, when I was seasoned and in kindergarten, I remember talking to some of my older, wiser neighbors who were in the first grade. And I remember them stopping me one day and saying, well, Chad, we wanna prepare you because now you're just a, a measly kindergartner, but next year, <laughs> next year, you'll be a first grader and you need to start praying now because there's only two first grade teachers at our elementary school. One is Mrs. Bauer and one is Mrs. Lockhart and you do not want Mrs. Lockhart. I remember kids saying, you don't want her. She's mean, she's old, and she's grumpy, and she's mean. And the more I thought about first grade, I figured one was like going to see Santa Claus and the other was like someplace where little children get eaten. I mean, that was just, <laughs> was just my idea, right? And so the day comes where you find out who your teacher's gonna be, Guess who my teacher was? Chad Gilligan's first grade teacher, Mrs. Lockhart. Man, I was scared to death. I remember walking in that day and thinking, I'm sure she'll eat me first, right? That was my, was my thought. Guess what I found out? She wasn't mean. To this day, one of my favorite teachers of all time. I was believing what other people were telling me, but I hadn't seen her for myself. I hadn't had a chance to know her for myself. You know, that, hop that happens with a lot of people in God. That we hear what people say. We think we know things about him. But until you really have the opportunity to find out who he is, you experience his presence. That's the only way that you'll know him. And can I tell you, and, and you're in a room full of people with those that have seen God in that sense, it's a powerful thing. When you know God's presence, when you sense his purpose in your life, when he helps you to see life with clarity, when you know that you have his peace and you have his guidance, even in the most difficult times of life, there's this powerful thing about when we see God. And Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. So the, the idea is that if you're pure in heart, the reward is you'll see God. So if that's the case, I wanna know, what does it take to see God? See, I wanna see him in my life. If Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they'll see God, I say, what does it take to see God? It's probably a good question for us to ask and to think about. When, when Jesus said this in Matthew chapter five, verse eight, there were these echoes there of something that his listeners would have already known. 
See, he was, he was teaching a group of Jewish people, and as he was teaching them, they would have heard his words, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God, and there were things that would have resonated in their minds. They would have said, that makes us think of something else, because they knew the scriptures. So when they heard this in their minds, they would have gone back to Psalm 24, because it, it resonates with those same ideas. Look at what David says, Psalm 24, verse three. He says, who may ascend the mountain of the Lord, and who may stand in his holy place? What does he mean when he says, who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? When you talk about the mountain of the Lord in scripture, oftentimes they're speaking of Mount Zion. Mount Zion is kind of symbolic of God's presence. When it talks about the holy place, they're talking about the temple, and the temple is symbolic of of God's presence. He's not necessarily saying who can go to a geographical place. He's saying who can know God's presence, who can experience God with them, who can, for lack of a better way of saying it, who can see God. And so when Jesus has this idea of who's able to see God, who's able to be in his presence, watch what he says, because this is key. We want to know this, because as we know God's presence and influence in our lives, we see him more clearly. We want to know his presence. We want to know his influence. We want to be able to see him at work in our lives. It's just like any relationship. So what David says to us, and remember, these echo Jesus words help us so much. Psalm 24, verse 4, who sees God? The one who has clean hands and a pure heart who does not trust in an idol or swear by a false god. So if that's how we can see God, it's probably good for us to ask the question, if I wanna see God, I need to know what hinders us from seeing God. What is it that can keep us from seeing God, from sensing his presence, from knowing his leadership, from having his blessing in our lives? Because for for most of us, if you're hearing this message, the reason is because you're desirous to know how can I have God at work in my life? So we have to ask, what hinders us from seeing God? And when we look at verse four of Psalm 24, it gives us some good ideas. It gives us some good explanation. Here's one of those things that's key to see. What hinders us from seeing God? Hands that are not clean hinder us from seeing God. Hands that are not clean will hinder us from seeing God. What does he mean by that? Those that have clean hands. It's those who have the idea that they're innocent before God or if they know that in some way they've transgressed against God, they ask for his forgiveness and they ask for his strength in their lives. Hands that are clean. What's been interesting is the fact that I keep going back to this little pump is driving some of you crazy. Some of you, you're just, it's, just, it's just driving you nuts. This is beautiful stuff, isn't it? You just take a hit of this stuff, man, it cleans your hands. I love this stuff. I use it on Sundays because I shake your hand. And I don't know what you've just done, right? I don't know. So I come back to the well right here because whatever you have, I don't want it, okay? So this is great stuff. But think about this. If you keep going back and hitting the sanitizer and hitting the sanitizer and what you really need is a shower, that does no good. I had a guy down here last service go, amen. It's like, you can't smell me. You don't know what you're talking about. Right, if you need a shower and you keep going back to this, it's no good. Many of us, we try to find a way to take a quick hit of something that makes us feel clean when the truth is at the very heart, at the very root, we haven't dealt with that. What's the idea behind clean hands? It's what you do. 
And this was a real issue in scriptural times because there were all these ideas, if you go back to the law of Moses, there were all these ideas of ritual purity. So people would do certain things that gave the appearance that they were holy, that gave the appearance that they were clean, but then their actions didn't follow up with it. And the reality is what the psalmist says here and what Jesus is trying to get at is sometimes we try to take a quick hit because we think that's enough. I go to church on Sunday, I sing the songs, I even put something in the offering, I do those things, I give the appearance that I've got clean hands when actually what I do doesn't necessarily line up with that. It doesn't match up to it. And the bottom line is this, if you really wanna be clean, is not enough. Jesus keeps poking at this all throughout the gospel of Matthew. Look at what he says, Matthew chapter 15, verse seven. He says, you hypocrites, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. He says, look, there's people that just try to do the right things so it looks like they're clean but they're not living a life that is clean. In fact, watch what he goes on to say. Remember, they were, they were arguing about ritual purity, what you do, how you wash your hands, what you put in your body. And Jesus says, don't you see, this is verse 17, that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and then out of the body. But the things that come out of a person's mouth come from the heart and these defile them. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, Adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. These are what defile a person. But eating with unwashed hands does not defile them. We hit this a couple weeks ago when we talked about righteousness, but this is really significant for us to see. It's not the external that determines the internal. It's what you are on the inside. See, what is inside is what will come out. And who you are on the inside is what matters. And too many times we fool ourselves because we think if I can just attend or if I can sing or if I can just take a quick hit of God on Sunday, then somehow that helps me. And the reality is that the appearance of holiness is not enough. In our lives, if we wanna see God, it's so much more. It's not just what's on the outside, it's what's on the inside. When David says that it takes clean hands, the reality is clean hands are the expression of a pure heart. So what hinders us from seeing God? Well, hands that are dirty will keep us from seeing God. But understand this, a heart that is not pure hinders us from seeing God. A heart that is not pure will hinder us from seeing God. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna set this down over here because my great fear is that somebody will just watch a part of this sermon and think that somehow hand sanitizer is part of our worship. Wouldn't that be weird? A heart that is not pure will hinder you from seeing God. We, we love to think that whatever we put into our bodies or into ourselves is pure, and that, that's really important for us. And the idea here is that what's pure is not what's external, but it's, it's internal, and that's key for us to know. Now, I'm not talking about perfection because none of us are perfect. In fact, the only way that we have any purity in our lives is because of what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross, right? And the reality is we are made righteous through Jesus Christ, That's where that comes from. Yet at the same time, there's this command in scripture that I'm to have a pure heart, that I'm to keep my heart pure. And that's something that that demands our attention. We we like things that are pure. You know, we we could get water from the tap, but many of us would prefer to drink it out of a bottle, wouldn't we? Because we have this idea. We'd rather spend money to drink this because we have this idea in our minds 
that it's pure. And we think about what I put into me, I wanna make sure I put in that's pure. So this one's, this one's not even been opened. And if I handed it to you and said, hey, you want a bottle of water? A bunch would be like, yeah, I'll take that right now. But if I did this, if I opened this bottle of water, and then in the process of that, I just took, this is, this is fresh dirt out of a, a pot at my house. Just a, I'm just gonna put a little bit of that in there. It's not that big of a deal. It's just a little bit, because it's a lot of clean water. Just a little bit of dirt. And I just kind of shook it up a little bit. And I said, hey, would you like a bottle of water? You'd say, no, I think I'll pass. Why? Because floaties freak us out, don't they? <laughs> you see that in there? You're like, no, I, don't, I don't really think I want any of that. And I'd be like, it's no big deal. Just, just drink it and your, your teeth will filter it out. It's not that big of a deal. <laughs> You're probably not gonna do it. Why? Because you don't wanna put anything in you that's not pure. It's, it's not that big of a deal. It's just a little impure. You wouldn't drink this bottle of water, but how many times do I turn my attention to something or put something into my mind or into my heart or into my body that is just a little impure? And it has the tendency to affect us in ways that we don't even realize. How critical it is that we understand what scripture is saying here. You wanna see God? It's clean hands and it's a pure heart. In fact, listen to David's prayer of repentance, Psalm 51, verse 10. He says, create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Did you you see the two things he connected there? A pure heart and God's presence. If you want God's presence in your life, how important it is that we guard the purity of what happens in our hearts. This is why Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. And and so when David writes this passage in in Psalm 24, he says, if you wanna see God, what's it take? He he says, you gotta have clean hands, you gotta have a pure heart. And then he gives us this third thing that can hinder us from seeing God. Here's the third thing. Things that take the place of God hinder us from seeing God. Things that take the place of God hinder us from seeing God. Most of the time when, when we're together on a Sunday and we look at God's word, we usually look from the, the translation of the Hebrew and Greek that's called the New International Version. And, and about five years ago, they, they updated that. They kind of went back and, and retranslated it. The original version was done in 1984. And actually, in this particular verse, I like the wording of the, the 1984 version the NIV. Listen to what it says. Who will see God? Psalm 24, four, he who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to an idol or swear by what is false. He who does not lift up his soul to an idol. That's an interesting phrase. It has this idea in the Hebrew, the, 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 the phrase to lift up one's soul, has the idea of kind of to nurture an appetite. That you take that hunger that's in you and you find a way to feed it that you nurture that, that you lift up your soul. And what David says here is, if you want to see God, then you can't lift up your soul to an idol because things that take the place of God hinder us from seeing God. Now this this is key for us to recognize because we have a tendency to think that idols aren't a part of our life today. I mean, if I asked you if you had any idols in your life or in your house, you'd be like, well, I I don't live in the jungle. 
I mean, when we think of idols, we think of, of, of tribal customs and lands far from us where people have never heard the gospel and they've got these idols that they make out of wood and stone and they worship these, these things that in our mind are dead. They're not living and that's what idolatry is. And you would say, well, I'm, I'm from a civilized part of the world that does not practice idolatry. And the reality is it goes a whole lot deeper than this. Let me give you a definition of an idol. Anything that takes the place of God in your life is an idol. If you give it your attention, if you give it your worship, it's an idol. This idea is all throughout scripture. In fact, Jesus really kind of unpacks it for us in the Sermon on the Mount. So if we jump back to the Sermon on the Mount, we fast forward to chapter six. Look at what Jesus says, Matthew chapter six, verse 19. He says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. You see the difference here is what he's saying. He says, look, if you're going to invest your life, invest it in something that will last. Make sure that your priorities are things that can't be taken from you. Make sure that your priorities are things that aren't going to be destroyed. You need to invest in something that will last. And this is challenging for us because we often give valuable time and energy to distractions from temporary treasures. And we make our treasure something that's just temporary and then our time and our resources and our energy get distracted away from the things that really matter in our lives because we've begun to treasure something that really isn't a treasure. Watch what Jesus says next, Matthew chapter six, verse 21. You've probably heard this before. He says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Have you heard that before? For where your treasure is, there your heart will will be also. You know what he's saying? Be careful what you treasure. Now the, now the probably most famous passage to the Jewish people in the Old Testament, and then you see it again, Jesus quoted it in Matthew chapter 22, is what's called the Shema. It's, it's hero Israel, the Lord your God is one. You will love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. This is the, this is the mantra of people who serve and love the one true God. I will love you with all my heart, and yet how many times does our heart get misplaced because it follows our treasure? For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Sometimes we have to step back and go, what is my treasure? Isn't it nice to know that spring is coming to Ohio? Man, we had the first day of spring this week. We had 70 degrees the other day. It's just beautiful. But I will let you know that spring officially came a few weeks ago. You know how I know? All the local ice cream places started opening back up, didn't they? (laughs) Didn't they? Every neighborhood's got one. People are like, it's ice cream time. Man, because you know what you've been doing all those winter months? You've been treasuring something. My treasure is a turtle Sunday at Mr. Freeze. Can I get an amen? <laughs> Rhonda looked me in the eye one day. You know, she gave me that look. She says, Mr. Freeze is open. <laughs> you know what that means? It's treasure time. No, I'm not going there. I'm trying to eat a little bit better. I'm trying to watch my weight a little bit. I'm trying to take better care of myself till I drive by. I don't need to spend that money till I drive by. Look at that line. I don't care. You know why? Because I treasure that turtle Sunday. And where your treasure is, your feet will take you there. Because that's where your heart is also. 
So Jesus says, look, you better be careful what you treasure. Because if you treasure it, it's where your heart's gonna go. And then he switches the analogy real quick. Look at what he does next. Matthew chapter six, verse 22. He says, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? It's kind of an interesting passage and a little bit tricky to interpret. And what's he talking about here? The truth is this. It was believed that the eye was the door that lets things into the body. These are the gates right here. So what goes through here affects the rest of you. And Jesus uses this analogy and he says, look, your eye is gonna be the lamp that illuminates your body. So where you put your allegiance, where you put your treasure is gonna determine how light comes into you. It sounds a little bit like blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God. And he says here, look, if your eye is unhealthy, then that's gonna cause the rest of you to be unhealthy. If your eye is healthy, then that's gonna change inside of you. So look at this, not just from a physical sense, but from a spiritual sense. What you see determines what you will become. So where are you focused? What treasure are you looking at? Because what you see will determine what you become. The NIV that we just read uses the the words healthy and unhealthy. There's other Bible versions, and if you go back to the original, it kind of has the connotation of what is good and what is bad. If your eye is good, then your body will be good. If your eye is bad, then your body will be bad. And if you even break that down a little bit further, the Jewish thought between good and bad would at times have this idea of what is single and what is double. In this sense, that what is single is good, meaning you are focused, you are locked in, you have a single mind. But if you are double-minded, that is bad. So what Jesus is saying is, look, if your eye is looking at the right thing and it's focused, that's good. But if your eye is, is, is kind of distracted, if you're trying to focus on too many things, if you have double vision, that's bad. It's important what you see with your eyes. How do we know that's where he's going? Watch what he says next in verse 24, Matthew chapter six. He says, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Now Jesus is talking in terms of treasure here. So we see the word money. But I tend to think that that last sentence fits no matter what you fill in the blank with there. You cannot serve both God and, you know what it is. Somebody said turtle Sunday. No. (laughs) I don't know, God's okay with it, I'm pretty sure. You cannot, you cannot serve both, right? You know this, you can't go two directions at the same time. You can't fight a war on two fronts. You can't be looking forwards and backwards at the same time. At some point, you have to recognize you can't do both. Fill in the blank there. You know what it is. What's the thing that you, you tend to put out in front of God? And Jesus says, look, you, you cannot serve them both. Here's why. You will become a servant to whatever has your attention. Whatever it is that has your attention, like it or not, You become a servant to it. That's why he says you cannot serve two masters. Understand that whatever has your attention is your master. You become a servant to it, and it can't be both. There's no God and. It's just God or. (laughs) You cannot serve both. If I if I you know sit down at the end of the day, maybe I'm gonna watch a show or movie or something, and sit down and kind of get focused, kind of get dialed in on what's going on. We've we've three kids, um, ages 16 to 21, and so they're coming and going all the time, and. If one of them comes in, 
they've been out, you know, working or friends or whatever, and they come in, they always seem to walk in the house at the most important moment in the show. Now, I love my kids. I just wish they'd come home at a commercial. Because I'm dialed in. I'm focused. I want to hear about their day. I want to know what's been going on. But not if it doesn't mean I'm, I don't want to miss out on my hero. Do you know what I mean? So you're, you're distracted in that moment. I have a hard time focusing. It's either one or the other. This, guy, this hero's either going to make it or I'm going to find out what you had for dinner. I can't do both. It's one or the other. I wish I, I've either got to mute the TV or I've got to mute a kid. You ever wish you had a kid remote control? I can't do both. I can't serve two masters. Whatever has my attention, it masters me. This is, this, is why, this is why Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart, because this idea of purity is not just cleanliness. It's not just moral purity or social purity or sexual purity. It's not, it's not just your behavior. It goes to your heart. And purity is not just this idea of what's clean, it's what's single-minded. It's what you're focused on. It's what has your attention. And is your attention set on something that is pure? Are you dialed in? Are you locked in on something? Where's your treasure? Because Jesus says, look, where your treasure is, your heart will be there. So if your heart is not treasuring the right thing, if you're not single-minded, you won't see God. A pure heart is a single-minded heart. It's all wrapped up in this, from David to Jesus. You see this all throughout scripture. When we talk about a pure heart, it's focused on experiencing God's presence. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Well, what happens if you're a little distracted? Look at what James says, James chapter one, verse eight. It says, such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. If, you, if you're wondering how to, how to be confused in life, how to be uncertain, how to, how to maybe lose your foundation, get double-minded. Because a double-minded person is unstable in all they do. Here's, here's what I've found. The more, the more I study the Beatitudes, the less I like them. Because they keep messing with me. I thought they were just cute little statements I learned in elementary school. And then the Holy Spirit started making me think about this. Chad, if you wanna see God, you have to be pure in heart. You have to be single-minded. None of this God and business. Where's your treasure? My hope today was not to make anybody feel condemned, but to maybe bring a little illumination to help us to see what's really going on. What is it that takes God's place in our lives? Is it money? It's kind of the natural. Jesus comes to that one, and oftentimes we become so focused on what we have that we, that we miss out on what he's trying to do. Sometimes it's relationships. It's real easy for us to make another person, and in some ways the reason we live. For some of us, it's lust, a person, a thing. We chase after something so much that we disregard. We make this investment in something that does not last. Sometimes it's selfishness or success. Sometimes it's things that really aren't bad, but you take media, social media, those kinds of things that can get our attention in such a way that they take from us and they don't give back. It can be pride, 
can be things that we put in our body because we're looking for a good time. It can be pleasure. It can be fear. It can be friends. It can be stuff. Look, none of this is, is necessarily bad in and of itself, but at some point we have to be careful because if it takes the place as our treasure, our hearts are gonna follow our treasure and then, and then we'll have a double-minded heart and we might try to take a hit of God from time to time, but that hit's not gonna make a difference. We need clean hands, we need a pure heart, we need to make sure that nothing takes the place of God because as long as something is in front of God, you won't be able to see him clearly. As long as something is in front of God in your life, you won't be able to see them clearly. Let's just call them for what they are. They're idols. So how do you know if you have one? Th- this was kind of where, where I had to land and I'm looking inside and it's like, okay, I've got, I've got a lot of good things in my life. I've got great relationships. I love my job. I live in a country where we have the opportunity to have prosperity. So how do I know if some of these things that are good things in my life have become idols in my life? Let me give you just real quick, if we, if we go back and think about the scriptures we've just looked at, let me give you five questions to recognize an idol in your life. Here's five questions. Let's just look at them real quick to recognize an idol in your life. Here's the first one. Number one, does it leave you with dirty hands? This thing that we're talking about, does it leave you with dirty hands? What did, what did David say? Who's going to see God? Those that have clean hands. What do you mean dirty hands? Look, does it, does it result in sin? If at some point, does that thing that your, your heart keeps going back to leave you at a place where you've made a choice or a decision or an action that, that causes you, you've gone through a thought process or you did something that you look back and you have to repent of. If it leaves you with dirty hands, then it's become an idol in your life. I was listening to a, a, a guy talk this week and he was talking about, on a podcast, about struggling artists painters, musicians, filmmakers, writers, whatever, whatever. And he said that oftentimes he's found that the people that are struggling artists like to be struggling artists because, because they like the feeling of being in that place. They like to feel like maybe things are against them and, and they can't move forward and, they, and, they're, and they're not necessarily that crazy about success because success would actually scare them. It's safer to struggle because they're familiar with struggle. Now, I don't know if that's true about artists, but I do know it's true about temptation. Sometimes we like to struggle with temptation because there's something about it that's familiar, it's kind of safe, sometimes it's actually kind of fun. Sometimes we like the thrill of temptation more than the chance to resist. And so we keep coming back to that thing. And then we keep having to wash our hands of that thing. That bitterness that we hold on to, that, that habitual lust that seems to consume us, that drunkenness or anger or fear that we know is, is taking too much space up in our lives, but we keep coming back to it, and it's making our hands dirty. It's probably an idol in our lives. Here's a second question to ask yourself. Number two, does it leave you with a divided heart? This, this thing that you're asking about, does it leave you with a divided heart? Do you know that feeling where you, you go, oh, I need to, like there's this something, I need to email this person, I need to call, I need to tell, I need to get done. You think of that and then you turn around and you forget it. Have you ever been there? And then you go, I know there was something I needed to do and I can't think of what it was because I didn't write it down in the moment. And I'm like, I don't, what was that? Oh man, and there's that gnawing feeling. Like I've been known to walk in the kitchen and go, Rhonda, there is something I gotta tell you and I cannot remember what it is. 
do you remember? It's like, how can I remember? You didn't tell me. Like you just, it's that, but, and it's, and it, and it, and until you think of it, it's like it almost possesses you. It divides your heart and you're distracted by that. And there are things and there are people and there are opportunities that come to your life sometimes that leave you with a divided heart. Here's just a good rule of thumb. Anything I can't stop thinking about is an idol. If I keep coming back to that thing, if it consumes me, if it divides my heart, if it distracts me, then it's an idol. Number three, third question to ask, does it rob you of time, resource, or energy? Does it rob you of time, resource, or energy? What Jesus say, store up your treasures where things cannot be taken from you, where they cannot be destroyed, where they have eternal value. See, an idol can be a very good thing that's taking too much of you. And it can rob you. It can rob your family. It can rob your future. You've been robbed if something is taken without giving anything of value in return. You know you've been robbed if something is taken from you without giving you anything of value in return, your time, your resource, your energy. Now, I'm not saying, look, if you do a good deed for somebody, you might not get a thank you, you might not be paid back, but you've, you've given that to the Lord, right? It's not what I'm talking about. But there are things that we invest our time and energy into when we could have been investing it in someone or something in a different way, and we step back and we didn't get any value out of that. If that begins to consume you, it could be an idol. Which leads us to the fourth thing. Number four, does it control you? Does it control you? What Jesus say, no one can serve two masters because you'll hate the one and love the other or love the one and hate the other. You cannot serve God and. And if you find yourself not being yourself, then you may be out of control and something else may be controlling you. If your decisions are not made on biblical values and the best interest of yourself and of others, Maybe you need to ask a question. See, decisions made based on short-term value instead of long-term benefits may reveal an idol in your life. If you're chasing after something that seems to give you a, a reward today, but it's not the benefit in the future, then maybe you gotta step back and go, Is that, has that become an idol in my life? Which leads us to the, the fifth thing, kind of the most basic thing, the last thing, number five, does it take the place of God in your life? This thing that you're asking about, does it take the place of God in your life? I asked a few people to help me out and to volunteer. Would you guys mind coming up and, uh, and um, hope you studied your lines? Um, no, they don't have any lines. That's just to freak them out. And um, so stairs are kind of right over here. Awesome. And I want to illustrate this for you a little bit. I, ho I hope this isn't overly simplistic but sometimes I need something real simplistic to help me. So guys, can you line up just kind of right here? And Carrie, will you stay back there? Because your husband said you are the most holy of all of these people that are up here. So, uh, so let's see. Man, I'm gonna have you hold on to that one, and I'll have you hold on to that one, and I'll have you hold on to this one. These are things that can sometimes begin to become a focus or a priority in our lives. So this one says money. Is money a bad thing? No, it's not a bad thing. You have to have it. You need money to live. Scripture doesn't say money is evil. It says the love of money is the root of all evil. So at some place, you gotta have money. It's not a bad thing. And this, this sign says relationships. Are relationships a bad thing? No, we're built for them. God created us to be in relationship. So relationships are key. In fact, you two are about to start a new relationship, aren't you? Because you're due when? 
June 1st, so right around the corner, and they're naming the baby Chad, which is, uh, that was a, I just had a prophetic word, right? Well, we thought it was a rather feminine name. Oh, you thought it was a feminine name, okay. For your daughter, Chadlin is a wonderful name. Pray about it. I, 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 anybody else feel like that was the Lord? I don't know. I felt it. So, okay, and Dan's got success right here, right? Is success a bad thing? Not at all, right? Because God wants you to thrive in what he's called you to do. He wants you to be effective. And then, and then this other relationship, Carrie, come on up here. We're gonna let you be God. Don't you forget it. Now, these are all things that kind of show up in our lives, right? And ultimately, Carrie, step right up here because God should be front and center, right? He should be the focus. If you're pure in heart, these aren't bad things, but the thing that should be our focus, our treasure should be him. Here's what happens, though. You've got this new relationship coming. So if you step right up here, Heather, what happens is there's gonna be times when you gotta think about that, and with a baby, you need more money, Right, and that happens, so as a result, you're kind of concerned about some things, you're probably working harder. No, 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 God, you step back just a little bit here. Yeah, see, here's what happens. <laughs> is all these good things begin to demand our attention. And what happens to God? This is, this is no statement, God is a he, by the way. And uh, God gets kind of in the back, and you can see him, but not, not real well because he gets crowded out by the things of life. These aren't bad things, this is just what happens in our lives. So what that means is at time, I've gotta make sure that I kinda push things back a little bit and that I let God come forward in my life and that he stays the focus, that he's the thing, because otherwise he's gonna get crowded out by everything else and I'll miss being able to see him clearly. And just about the time that I do that, something's gonna happen and I'm I'm gonna have to work extra hard and then as a result, God kinda steps back a little bit and success kinda, God kinda steps back a little bit. Like God steps back a little bit and (laughs) success moves in and then it's issues with money comes back up and then relationships and what you happen is it's just a matter of time until God's all crowded out again. It's not because it was a bad thing, you didn't do anything wrong. Have you heard of life? It's just what happens. And when it does, I have to consistently say, I want to see God, so I need to make my heart single-minded. I need a pure mind. And so, God, you got to pull back up here again. It's going to be rough at home now. You know that. Okay, yeah. And you got to bring God to the forefront. So, look, for some of you, today's transformational because this is a thought that you've been too busy to think about. And you realize, I need to be single-minded in my heart. I need to pull God up to the front. And that's gonna be great tomorrow as you roll into Monday. Do you know what's gonna happen on Tuesday? God's gonna get crowded out again. It's a push and pull that constantly happens. And you're gonna have to choose to come back to this point and to remember, if you wanna see God at work in your life, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. That means I'm gonna have to deal with those idols. I'm gonna have to be honest with myself. I'm gonna have to take a look at these things and make sure that there is nothing that takes the place of God in my life. Will you give these guys a big hand? Thank you so much for helping me out. Awesome, good work, God. That was great. Guys, thank you. Thanks, dude. Matthew chapter five, verse eight. Blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God. And for some of you, today is showing you've been looking in all kinds of different directions. Maybe taking a quick hit of God from time to time and thinking that that was enough. You've been wrestling with God and, and realize that that's not gonna work. 
where you have double vision, it's hard to focus. And at some point, you have to allow yourself to look to him. My point today is not to make anybody feel condemned. I just wanna illuminate something for you. Many of you may know, uh, whether you realize it or not, Tom and Ann Maidment, um, some great folks here at Calvary. Um, if you've ever come in upstairs at the top of Auditorium One, you've probably had a bulletin handed to you by Ann. And if you've ever walked in down here on the floor, you've, you've probably had your hand uh, shaken by Tom. And they just started this week, and I would invite you, as, a, as a, I told them as a church, we're gonna pray for them. Uh, Tom began this week a journey of cancer treatment. We're gonna pray for them and believe for healing. And when we were, when we were visiting, Anne reminded me of uh, where, where we found ourselves as a church about, I don't know, five years ago. Because if you're, if you're new to the Toledo area, you actually might not realize that this used to be a movie theater. How many of you ever saw a movie in here? And, um, you know, it's a, cool, it's a cool building. But typically when you're in a movie theater, you don't worry about light a whole lot. You don't really look around a whole lot. You come in, you watch the movie, you leave. We didn't much either until we bought one. And then we turned all the lights on and realized that when they clean movie theaters, they just kind of take a quick hit. This really came to light for me. And I see Carrie up there. Carrie, I don't know if you remember, you were walking through the atrium and you had a cup in your hand filled with pieces of already chewed gum. It's nasty. But you didn't see it. Most of them are gone, but you can reach under your seat. You might get lucky. I don't know. <laughs> we cleaned the place. But Ann said to me, this was interesting. She said, I, I remind my granddaughters not to wear shorts when they go to the movies. Because you don't know how clean it is and, until you shine some light on it. Look, the hope today would be to bring some light so that you could see the purity of your heart. And maybe identify some places where you've allowed something, an idol, to take the place of God in your life. And if, if that's the case, then what do you do? Well, you say on a repeated basis, I think, what we've already sung today. And you say, you can have it all, Lord. Every part of my world. And so I'm gonna invite you just to bow your heads and close your eyes for a moment. And would you be willing to let the Holy Spirit look into your heart? Pastor John's gonna begin to lead us in this song. It says, you can have it all, Lord. And would you let this be your prayer? You can have it all. And every part of Lord, you take this life and breathe on this heart is now yours. Sing this, make it your prayer. You can have it all.
here in Auditorium 1 or in Auditorium 2 or if you're watching on a screen somewhere, I'm going to challenge you to allow the Holy Spirit to look into your heart. You know, the thing, the thing about an idol is you've, you've, you've placed it there. So to replace it means you, you might have to move it. As we were singing that song, I, I just sensed in my spirit that God is asking, maybe it's just one person, to make some kind of change. Whatever that is, there's, there's an idol that you've allowed to be in your heart. And God says, it's taken the place of, of me. And so it may mean some kind of choice or decision or change. But he's speaking to your heart. And he's reminding you that whatever it takes, it's worth it. Because blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. And so Lord, thanks for your word. Thanks for the way that you speak to us. Holy Spirit, I pray that even as we go out through this week, would you allow us to, by your spirit, see those things that can try to, to pull out in front of you in our lives. Lord, would you give us clean hands? Give us pure hearts. May we see you. Now, Lord, as we go from here, we ask that you'd go with us. God, would you send us out with your special favor, your wonderful peace. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.